Welcome, everybody. It is PMP Weekly, uh, episode 149. In the Microsoft 365 PMP Weekly, we talk about the latest in Microsoft 365 from a news perspective from the Microsoft and also from the community side, uh, where, of course, there's a chilling amount of articles and all of that happening, but we're raising a few of them for the discussion. My name is Cesar Yuman, and I'm a program manager in Microsoft 365 platform. With me as a co-host is Waldek. Hey everybody, my name is Valdek Mastikas and I am Cloud Developer Advocate at Microsoft 365. Excellent, thank you Valdek. So this time uh, we have Rabia Williams, your colleague actually joining us on that discussion, right? Correct. Yes. That was a, we already recorded that, that was a cool discussion with her related on her career path from joining the, the Microsoft on this weird pandemic situation and, and well actually getting an MVP status and then joining the, the Microsoft within the past two years, which is pretty yeah. overwhelming as well. So which is really, really cool. Really cool to have a chat with her as well and catching up on things. But let's before uh, before let's actually jump not before later. Let's actually jump on the discussion with Rabia and then we'll then we'll go to the articles right after that. So welcome, Rabia Williams, uh, to our PMP Weekly episode 149. Um, you were actually in our show. I can't remember which episode. We probably should have actually done some background research. research. Well, like, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I know you're well prepared every time yeah, <laughs> and scripted. Yes. We actually Super go from scripted. slide to slide. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Ne exactly. Next slide, please. <laughs> yes. Now, but let's, uh, for those who haven't seen you, Rabia, before, can you do a quick intro? Who are you and where you're based on? Based on. Um, from, so I'm based, <laughs> I, English hard, you know. It's okay. Um, it's same for me. Um, I'm Rabia. I'm a cloud developer advocate uh, in Microsoft for uh, Microsoft Teams and Graph. Um, I used to be a Microsoft MVP, and I guess that's when I uh, first did the PNP um, weekly episode when I just became an MVP. And right now, uh, I have. Um, I think I was probably the shortest lived MVP because I became an Ever. MVP, <laughs> probably. I didn't even get to do the whole renewal process before that I joined Microsoft. Um, I'm also probably one of the few MVPs who became MVP uh, post pandemic. So I quite didn't get to experience uh, the real MVP life, the community, et cetera. But Hey, virtual wasn't so bad, um, but I guess people do tell me that I did miss out a lot of fun. Yeah, so that's me. I uh, have a SharePoint background um, and I was an SPFX developer before I um, jumped into uh, the whole cloud advocate role. Yeah, it's been an interesting yeah. two years for you, right? Because you just said that you started getting the MVP during the pandemic situation, then you moved to Microsoft. So, and yes. you've been working remotely the whole time, right? Yes, with a very, very interesting uh, team. <laughs> Waldig is here, so uh, he probably knows our team is so diverse. And it, it was really uh, a bit uh, interesting when I joined Microsoft because I have never worked remotely except for when the pandemic hit and we had to go lockdown. It was really funny at that time, too, because we were doing we were trying to do a lot of things online. Like in my previous company, we were doing yoga. We were doing uh, Friday uh, drinks and games. Uh, so it was a bit different from the actual work process and how I usually had my routine. Um, but then it became my life. I, we don't have any uh, virtual meetings and drinks. <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll take we don't. Uh, but it became time my zones. life. I blame it for time zones. <laughs> yes, exactly. We were actually in different countries. Every one of us in our team in um, in M365 Cloud Advocacy. But yeah, it was super, super uh, interesting because my onboarding, same as Waldeck, uh, we had uh, virtually, we had all these uh, videos we had to uh, watch or trainings we had to go to. So it was a, it was a very different experience. I would say I would love to meet people in person. I would love to go to the campus, etc. So it was a big shift for me. But can't complain because I am still uh, in a place of privilege, I guess, during pandemic. I still have a job. So, yeah, it has been yeah. interesting. It's, it's 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 been quite a change, not only yeah the pandemic, but then the roles and everything else. It, it's actually yes. kind of interesting, and and like yeah. I said, the, being an MVP is it was so different before the pandemic because we had the MVP summits and potentially even airlifts on site at the campus. So yeah. it, it was a completely different thing. So yes. we'll get there hopefully at some point. Um, so <laughs> sooner or later. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, but I guess it's also it's also a very interesting change, right? Because on one hand, like, yes, we moved away from the in-person events, and that is a loss. Like for everybody who could attend, like that's a huge loss in building relationships and all of that. Mm. But on the other hand, it enabled another audience, another group that were almost never able to come, like people with political issues, visa issues, financial issues, like who were never. Uh, able to come and with that like there was no other way for them to join right so they would lose on that experience um at all and now they can join so it's yes. a lose for some win for others but i think we're yet mm -hmm. to crack this not like okay like how can we have a really great great experience that allows us to be inclusive of everybody like we do mm -hmm. now but then also have this relationship building aspect to it sure. that we sure. used to have in person sure yes I think the whole, um, it was completely, I, I feel like life before pandemic was completely different. There were a lot of things um, that does not make any sense anymore after pandemic. So I guess you're right. At some point there's a win. Like at some point. Flying all over the, the world to events. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like traveling. Uh, for me, uh, the biggest uh, thing was I worked I mean I, I work in the city when I was working in my previous company I worked in the city so I used to travel and now uh, I feel like before when I was in the pandemic I would like love going on train because I can then listen to podcasts or uh, like PHP weekly um, or um, you know watch videos etc and I would keep that time as my me time and uh, I used to miss that in the beginning but now I dread going somewhere. Um, so I'm like, I don't want to mm. travel because I'm losing time because I can spend that, uh, probably that one hour <laughs> home, you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you yeah, can work it's, more, it's, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that it might be that within two to five years or so, uh, we were the lucky ones because we were the ones who got to travel for business at some point. Um, got to travel because at some point when it goes above certain limit it's no longer fun uh, but it's it's it yeah. might be that we're heading more and more to the direction where the traveling is not coming back because again this is working surprisingly well i it's just i haven't seen wildek for many many years but i still feel connected so i don't know about wildek's feeling up towards me but you know he's wildek so <laughs> my feelings are all good <laughs> <laughs> you have no expression on your face when you said that <laughs> exactly <laughs>
Really? It doesn't come through. There you go. Some things don't come through. They don't come across digitally, right? That's true. But yeah, so if you think about, for example, a bit of my career at some point, I did 26 weeks uh, traveling uh, in Microsoft uh, career, and that's a lot. Um, and it's no longer fun because it's half of the year, and then you stay away from the family and everything else, and and it basically travel through the world and, and even across the world every now and then through multiple locations and and you see airport hotel and the delivery location whatever we were delivering so yeah. is it fun no but i got to do that now as an afterthought sure it it's nice to say that i've been in kuala lumpur singapore uh new york whatever the locations are there's a chillion of them uh, did i see any of that no but hey hmm. <laughs> so the ah. new people doesn't necessarily <laughs> get to have that experience even on the traveling perspective so but we'll see uh hopefully we'll we'll get back to the whatever the normal nowadays means so <laughs> i'm not sure yeah. though i feel like the li our lives are going more and more digital i sure. i have a feeling that it's never going back to what it was before yeah. Um, there might be a few um, things we do out of nostalgia but that's it probably we'll be more comfortable being digital you mean basically the same way like in the past everybody used to have a horse and now it's a luxury <laughs> thing you do you do for the leisure you know like like it's yeah. it's it's yeah it's basically the same thing exactly. right like in the past Honestly. there was there was just like everybody had one and now it's like and maybe there will be exactly the same thing for us like you like we used to go to work or you would hop on a plane or do stuff and now you're gonna go like once mm. every other year maybe or maybe not i don't know you know yeah. See. Now, <laughs> coming back on the, the, that's an interesting perspective, the discussion on the traveling, but let's come back to you, Rabia, a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so can, can you kind of talk about, let's say, top three, top five surprises of when you joined Microsoft? Because um, I guess a lot of the people, I still remember when I joined Microsoft mm -hmm. and I was so freaked out uh, because it's like, yeah. oh my, they're going to they, <laughs> catch me anytime and they will fire me. Um, but yeah. any, any kind of surprises as you started working on Microsoft? Oh yeah, like uh, quite many. Where do I start? Um, <laughs> I know. I, I'm still surprised every week. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> every every meeting surprises me. But um, look, so if I have to be honest with you, um, the biggest uh, surprise or shock was the how people speak in Microsoft. So for me, um, <laughs> like they put jargon everywhere, like abbreviations, <laughs> jargons, the complex words. And I was like, every time I would be in a meeting, I would not understand half of the things because I have to go look up in the glossary later, I would write yeah. down. Um, and it was so proper. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was the first shock. Uh, like um, I had to train myself to um, probably do these things, CSM, ISI, PPP, I don't know, <laughs> uh, things like that. So uh, that was one thing that I consistently saw in every single person who've been in Microsoft for more than a year or who has yep. been you know, actively collaborating with Microsoft folks. Um, another shock I would say is how my boundaries changed and that happened very automatically for me. Um, so you uh, basically the 
you know what I'm talking about, time zones and how meetings are yep. um, set and how it always, um, you always think that, you know, I'm, I'm going to put a boundary, uh, I'm going to do this, that, but then eventually there are important meetings, important stuff that comes up and then you eventually go into the pattern of accepting things. So I guess it's, it's kind of like a shady area where I haven't figured out and it was a shock for me at first that I could actually go in and become so gullible, um, <laughs> but I did. Um, yeah, so I think these are uh, shocking for a person like me because it. I started off being remote. This is my first job where I'm being remote and yep. experiencing all this. Um, I, I don't know about top fives. I don't know if you have got time because there's just so many things. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about so I recall when I would first go remote, right? And like the first day, you go upstairs or to your other room where you have your screen, your main work area, and you mm. work and there's no one around you. Like how did you experience that? Like that first shift from being in an office with colleagues around you, headphones because you had to cancel the noise, to mm. well, you're in your own place. And you work, you know what to do, or you don't, but it's yep. just you. Like there's nobody to whom you can go and ask. And maybe even in your case, your manager or not, maybe he or she is asleep now. So there's no, mm -hmm. no one even to ping on teams because it's yeah. different time zones. How, how, how was that? Um, it was strange at first, um, but I guess uh, our work is quite different. We have to be creative in our own space. We get to work in our own many projects. Uh, that is one of the luckiest aspects of our, our job as a cloud advocate. So a lot of things are something that you do by yourself. Um, and then you reach out to the team, you've got meetings with them. So it wasn't really harsh. I mean, in the beginning, it was a bit... Um, like you said, Waldeck, I totally understand what you're trying to say because it's um, it was funny because you couldn't reach out for things. But I always had my teammates like you and Bob or whoever it is, everyone ready uh, for meetings. So I didn't feel it, it. It wasn't so bad for me. Yeah, maybe the onboarding experience was a bit weird. I I it was just videos or something so i i, I wish that was a bit better and more in person <laughs> yeah i guess that's no, the, the onboarding is weird remotely because typically mm -hmm. onboarding would be that you meet the manager yeah. you go to you go yes. to a lunch you you have a discussion you you interact and it's different so yeah well, but it was covid even, even so yeah yeah but i guess even, even at microsoft like the onboarding is different because like Part of the onboarding are the new employee, uh, what is the O4 orientation, NEO? Yeah. And you do that with a random group of people who start around the same date. So it's not your own team. You will get yeah. salespeople or other folks, and this is your onboarding group. It's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's cool to have, to see folks who yeah. are in kind of the same boat, who are new to Microsoft, but this is not your team, right? So there's there are different levels of onboarding, right? Sure. Yeah. But that, that comes from the mentality which we had back in when I joined. Uh, so, yeah, 1954. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, so right after Normandy's <laughs> events. But, but, so when I joined, we had a onboarding week uh, in uh, UK, so in London. So basically all of the new people flew to London and then crossed the different organizations and crossed the, the different roles and all of that. Basically, we had a one week 
lot of presentation skills, a lot of uh, team working and all of that stuff, which is kind of interesting. Um, and it's it's always fun to do that. And then, of course, actual practicalities on the company. Then after a while, I think it was two to three years after that, it was changed to be, was it two weeks in Redmond? So everybody flew to yeah. Redmond. Uh, so as a Microsoft Pressure University cooker. or whatever it is. So yeah. Oh, so um, oh, I mean, on the other hand, you got to know all the acronyms. True, <laughs> <laughs> not immersed all. in them. <laughs> all of the, well, that's why two weeks, right? <laughs> yes. And then there's the final exam. Okay, here's the acronym. Yeah, yeah. Of this, of this. Yes. yeah I wish I took that <laughs> <laughs> certification. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, but coming back on the acronyms and something what you said, Robbie, I, I, I understand mm. that there's a lot of jargon and business jargon what's happening. But to be fair, at least personally, I'm I'm always thought about that, that those people who actually push the business jargon too much, it typically means that they don't really understand that either <laughs> uh, because they can put it in the normal words. Uh, so they're basically, mm. unfortunately, they're trying to impress that they impress people or then they're not necessarily quite up to date on on what does it actually mean. So, because quite often it it's unfortunate. Like this, this happens in every single company that that you're in a meeting and then you're sitting in a meeting and wondering that not, are any of these people up to date on what are we trying to do here? <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's shock number four. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that you're too polite, so you don't actually want to call that. <laughs> But I guess that happens everywhere. (laughs) 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 But it's it's the I still remember coming back on the on the joining company and um, all of that. The the at least the mental mindset which I had was that when I joined the company, uh, everybody is just super awesome, the best in the world, and and the 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 best possible people out there. And then you realize that well, these are just people, which actually is a big, big, big learning. And then after that, you can start a bit relaxing and then having like, hey, I have a suggestion as well, mm-hmm. because you, you know, are no longer basically considering you as an outsider, but mm-hmm. rather a person in the team when you realize that, yeah. well, wow, they're humans as well. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. They, they are. That is not a part of the onboarding, to be honest. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's a very good point, Vesa. And I, um, yes, um, all all the teammates or anyone who have collaborated with, I've always um, been guided, not just the technical aspect, but as a mentor, um, you know, who've been in this business for long, they always uh, lend a hand and give us um, insights into how to work through this company. So yeah, that's that's amazing to see that people actually care about uh, each other in Microsoft. Like that would be a surprise. Oh my God! <laughs> well, I know. No, so maybe, so maybe, maybe to put it in perspective, like the fact, and maybe that is exactly what you mean, Rabia. The fact that, like, no matter how high someone is, like, you can you can always mm-hmm. ask them for a coffee and to ask yeah. them stuff, and people are really open to that. And yeah. on the outside, it might seem like, yeah, but that is your like skip skip manager or director of some things, like. Is it okay to ask them all? Yes, these are people who at some point went through exactly the same stage where you are. Mm. Yeah. And they're very willing to help given it's a valid question and not just a waste of their time. Yeah. And like you cannot force like, I need to know it now, right? Because like they have their own work. So if you have the time and if you have a valid thing to ask, people are very open to 
take call with you, have a drink or beverage of your choice and their choice and talk about things you want to ask them. True. Yeah. True. No, that's, that's true. true. Now, um, let's move the discussion point a bit again to a different area. But what, can you, can you Rabia, explain uh, for those who might be looking into moving to Microsoft um, Cloud Advocate? That mm-hmm. sounds fancy. What does that actually mean? <laughs> what do you do for a living? So the quick, <laughs> quick recap on that. So yeah, sure. Um, I had it all wrong when I joined. Um, <laughs> when I joined uh, cloud a- as a cloud advocate, it was a new role, right? I mean, trust me. I, I'm sure of all that you might have searched in Google as well on the roles and different companies how they do it, etc. So I had an impression of what a cloud advocate is uh, through YouTube, through um, other you know search engines and blogs and things like that. I had completely wrong for the first few months I had it completely wrong I was doing the wrong things and did um, it click <laughs> <laughs> it clicked um thanks to uh, my manager actually uh we had a very long philosophical discussion on this role uh after a few months uh Barnum um and yeah. that's when it was like okay it, it makes sense now like it, we started doing some projects that actually had impact mattered, you know, things like that. So uh, on a daily basis, um, it, it looks like from the outside, it looks like, you know, you'll be writing blogs, you'll be writing samples, you'll be writing contents to uh, educate people. Um, but in reality, I think um, cloud advocacy or cloud advocates role is basically is forming connection with people. Uh, and when you say connection with people, it's like relationship between um, engineering team folks uh, and relationship between the community in a way that you have to make sense to both. Uh, you have to make sense to the engineering team with what they do. We have to give feedback to them. We have to dive deep into the technological aspects. You have to speak their their language to the engineering team. And yeah, <laughs> Um, And when you're uh, communicating it to the developer community, you have to do it in a way that is appealing to the community. So it's not really just getting up on the podium and just blurting out a demo or uh, just passing through slides. It's actually you need to do your stuff and you need to have the kind of connection and trust from both the sides in order for you to be impactful. So it was harder than I thought. I mean, I thought it was simple. It was like an extension of being an MVP. But uh, and I would say MVP any day is much easier because we do have the support of the community all the time. You know, you have um, people like uh, PNP, you know, uh, this community would actually help uh, an MVP grow. And, you know, um, but when you're an advocate, you have to deal with both uh, the Microsoft side of things as well as the community. So it's more challenging. Um, Yeah, I think that's what I learned uh, from the past few months, which, which, which was a late (laughs) a <laughs> revelation for me. Uh, I would say late because, yeah, for three months, I was just d- grabbing all the stuff that was coming my way, all the small events. And I was like, oh, maybe I have to speak for this. Maybe I have to speak in this. You know, I was just doing it all wrong. But that was not how um, actually it's perceived. This role is perceived. Um, yeah, that's actually oh, a really good so clarification. I w- Sorry about that. Yep. Yeah, and I, mean, I, w- I wouldn't say it's wrong. I mean, it's different, but it still fits, right? Because like at the end of the day, when you say you communicate to developers, well, speaking at events is a form mm. of that. Yep. It right? is. But it's not the only it's not thing. And only I guess that, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. And then a while back, there was somebody who said, like, 
especially when when you come to a dev role job, right? And whether that is at Microsoft or someone else, and you used to be MVP or an or you an equivalent of that. Dev role. You need to develop a relationship job. So be, being an advocate, it is <laughs> yes. well, it, it is a devrel. Devrel is a non-Microsoft thing, right? It's no, a no, no, developer. No, no, I'm trying to explain for those yeah, who do yeah. not understand that. So developer Fair relationships. Enough. So <laughs> anywho, right? So if you come to that job and you come from being an MVP or equivalent of that, right? So Google mm-hmm. has their own, companies have their own, right? You've been kind of doing devrel job as a hobby in a way. Like it was always a side thing. Like mm. you had your job, and then you were an MVP. So, so, so that was a side thing, and you kind of did whatever you thought was the right thing to, to do to connect with community. But then when it becomes a job, there are other aspects to it, right? It's basically like with anything else. When something is a hobby, you get to choose the pieces you want to do. Yep. But mm-hmm. when it becomes a job, you get to do other things because that's like everything is a part of the job, right? So like being being in um devrel job, sure, you get to speak at at events, you get to write blogs, samples, and code, but you also need to think, is that the right channel and format for a community right now for the thing I want to do? Right. So there's this yeah. other aspect to it. It becomes one of your tools in your toolbox to use. Yeah. But then you need to make the connection. Is it the appropriate thing to do now? Because you have yeah. more in your arsenal, and there, there, there is also, as you said, Rabia, the internal aspect to it, communicating back to product group. And you do that mm. a little as an MVP, but being in a devrel job, like you're expected to do more of that because now yes. that is your job, right? So it kind of it expands a little and becomes more of a job with some additional elements that you mm. don't get to experience as long as that is a hobby. And as That's it's a true. job, you're being measured on those things. Um, because yes. just to clarify also for those who are not familiar with that, if you're in engineering job in Microsoft, you're not expected to be actively involved in the community and promoting things. Of course you can, but that's not the expectation. So for therefore, yeah. Yeah. Um, having cloud advocates is super, super important because they are the link between the community and the engineering. Um, if the engineering teams and, and in there are organizational differences which are the PMs and engineers who are actively involved in community, which are not. But in many organizations, yeah. they're being measured purely on deliverables uh, inside of engineering. And therefore, nobody's encouraging them to be in touch with the real world. Real world. <laughs> so, yeah, real world. The field. <laughs> with the field. <laughs> That's why we need cloud advocates to be the connection yes. with the real and, world. So. And I would also say that when when I was an MVP or when I was writing blogs or producing content, I would not, I would just think that, oh, maybe this will be fun to do. And I, like Waldek said, it's a hobby, but you don't think whether this content is going to be impactful or not. What is the problem that this content is going to solve for the bigger community or the larger group of developers? But in, as a CDA, you need to evaluate and distill um, whatever tools An you acronym. have. An acronym. I do understand what a cloud developer advocate is. But <laughs> um, yes, so we need to understand what's the impact of this particular blog that I'm putting in. So um, I think the frequency of how much content we put out has uh, shortened because we don't want to put um, every week one blog or the other that has 
probably like five views. We want to have more impact. So these are the kind of thought process that goes in your head when you're uh, producing contents, developing contents, um, uh, which which is a drastic change from what you would do as a hobby. For yeah, sure. and also it is it is an interesting point, right? Because like we are a part of community, right? So like every advocate, at least at Microsoft, but I guess at large too, like they work together with a product and that product is in a given stage, whether it's a new thing or it's established thing or it's already on the uh, decline, you know, it's like that de mm -hmm. and that depends how active community is there, right? Because like we don't need to create much stuff more because we have active community that does that already and we can add yep. to it, of course, yep. but it doesn't depend fully on us. Like in comparison, imagine there is a new product, product, like let's take for example, Microsoft Loop. Like it's not even out, out yet when it comes, like there's, it's not established yet, right? So there will be more mm. need for folks internally to drive all of that because it will be, be new and people will not sure. know yeah. as much about it as they know about Microsoft and Graph or Teams or SharePoint because these things have been out already for a longer time, right? So we can mm -hmm. we work together also with community who creates also the content that people need, right? And that is yep. also the aspect to factor in into which tactics do we want to, like what kind of work do we want to do and need to do to help developers the most. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Good, good. Uh, from a timing perspective, let's let's again switch <laughs> a bit uh, discussions uh, on a, a another diff uh, important area. So let's talk about actually a bit about the fact that you're a woman in IT um, and the importance of diversity and inclusive uh, inclusion. Um, any, so we talked about, I guess we asked this from you already in the past, but any, any good tips for career tips for anybody who is watching uh, this one I'd like to be a, a, in IT? Is IT for women or not? That's a stupid question, I know. Mm, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Next. Um, Next. <laughs> but uh, let's put it this way. How can we and how should we as a Microsoft and also community improve our behavior around this, this, these important topics. Any thoughts on that? Uh, what important topic? Uh, increasing diversity. Um, yeah, it, it makes a lot of impact, uh, to be very honest with you. Um, having people who look like me um, in this space um, is, is impactful. And I will tell you because I have a little story for this. Uh, when I first started off um, in the user groups in Brisbane, um, uh, we have the M365 Brisbane group and I was, uh, it was probably my first uh, ever speaking. Um, uh, um, so it was around SPFX library, I think. Um, and one person after the, uh, um, it was a success, I hope, because a lot of people did have questions. Uh, a lot of folks actually did the lab with me. Um, and after the session, um, uh, a guy uh, came to my, came to the podium and I was like, you know, attending questions personally as well. Um, he came to me and he, he was an Indian guy and I, he actually told me that he's really proud to see someone like me um, and also a woman uh, who's um, also Indian uh, standing in the podium and talk to all these uh, folks doing labs with them. And he was really, really proud and he is so motivated to continue uh, with his IT journey. So um, that was a small cool. thing, but I still remember that uh, because it does matter, uh, representation matter, because that's when people 
um, come out and express uh, their passion or uh, their, you know, uh, what they want to show to the world without actually thinking about how they look. So, yeah, it's yeah. important. And and the look shouldn't actually matter at all, of course, because it, no. it's just no impact whatsoever. Unfortunately, that's that, however, still happens. And and of course, it's up to us to keep on increasing and encouraging these people to be more active and and yes. and being part of the community. Um, and that I yes. guess more and more, if you think about the Microsoft 365 platform community, the BNP community, and everything else, everybody is always welcome. And and if there's anybody who needs help. Just reach out, and and there's always people who are willing to help and re- and and encourage others and help on the samples. There's a there's a guidance programs even uh, which are basically helping people to do presentation and and doing part uh, what is it co-presenting even uh, with with the community members. So really really trying to help people to be more visible and active. So yeah. And That's if great. there's, by the way, anybody who's watching, listening, uh, and of course, Rabia as well, and, and Waldek, or anybody, if there's good ideas, how we can improve this, those are always, always welcome, because um, <laughs> this, everybody should have an equal opportunities on these things, and that's what we want to promote for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would add to this that people uh, who have a problem with the, uh, the language, um, I think that's why we need to bring people, folks up, up because it could be any person, you know, any gender, sure. any country, any nationality. And if you've got language barriers, I think that shouldn't be a problem because you're at the end of the day, it's what you know about the technology that matters, um, not how you can uh, speak about it. Because yep. um, your intelligence isn't, um, it should n- never be measured in, with the language. It's just a language. Yes, it doesn't have to be perfect Oxford English or so or any other dialect. So <laughs> tell me about it. I know. So <laughs> that's right. Um, but yeah. So um, and and to be fair, the language is a good, a really good example. The more people practice and get those opportunities to present, then the language will get better and better because then that's just how it works. So. <laughs> I would not listen any of my videos from 2008 <laughs> or 2009 at this point. I don't listen to anything and it's not my language. Well, that's true. I don't, I that's don't true. really have a yes. problem because it's I do voice. speak other languages fluently. Um, uh, it's it's my voice. And yeah, yeah it's Everybody terrible. I probably wouldn't listen, listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> I would just yeah, watch don't. it with subtitles. <laughs> yes. Well, but again, like, that is also an interesting point, right? Because like, if if you're if if you're not fluent in a language, would it mean that you would more likely choose, for example, to read as opposed to um, listen, Good which thing. might go yeah. faster? Yeah. And if the person like me doesn't enunciate clearly, that you might lose chunks, as opposed to where you can see a transcript or subtitles yes. or even read an article, yeah. that it's easier for you to grasp and learn, right? So there's also that aspect to it when we think about enabling others to become part of the community, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Articles are important as much as video content. I think, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the, the typically articles are more easily found than video content as yeah. well. So even though video is growing, but articles <laughs> are important as well. So yeah. Good. Um, let's do a quick round of a what's going to happen. What are, what are the cool things? What are we doing this week with you, Rabia, as well? And then uh, I guess it's time to close up the, the discussion this time. Yay. So anything interesting <laughs> what you're working on right now? 
what you can potentially maybe talk about? Um, <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. actually working. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Yeah, I don't know now. if we can. I don't <laughs> know if we can actually say about this, but um, myself and uh, Bob German were working um, on a workshop. Um, to help developers um, you know, with Teams uh, application, um, cool. especially the store side of things. Um, and yeah, so it's 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 coming up. Um, it's not ready yet, so we're still um, on the base level of everything. We're working on um, a nice workshop, probably with labs uh, for the developers. Cool. Looks, sounds really really good because that that's for sure something what people would love to have. So more step by step guidances and hands-on labs. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, when we used to have this in person, let's say workshops, that's what we people were delivering. So hopefully we'll yeah. get back to those at some point as well. Well, like yeah. anything interesting on your table? It's too big to be doing a lot. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, so for one, um, I'm trying to see if there's a way for us to simplify discovery of different resources that, that that we have for developers, both created by us at Microsoft and by community. Like imagine you want to build an app, like a Teams bot on Node. What are the different things that you need? Kind of ingredients, tooling, manuals, tutorials, samples and whatnot to help you build the bot. So not to try yeah. to recreate everything from scratch because we have that content already, yep. but helping you to find it. So I'm, mm. I have an idea around that, that I'm bouncing off. So I I asked a few folks internally for about it, um, for opinion on it. I asked a few more folks externally and now it's kind of the point where, okay, I wanna ask broader audience, does that help? Thinking about last time you build an app, how did you go about finding the research? Like, would this form help? What other types of apps would you like us to um, create cheat sheets or you yep. so that you can do it more easily, right? And then eventually to yeah. the point, okay, imagine we have few of them. What is the best place for us to put them on so that you can easily find them, access them, yeah. and then that we keep them up to date because tools yep. evolve, libraries evolve, so there is also this aspect to it that, well, just because there is a sample, it doesn't mean that that is the sample that shows how to do it today. Because maybe between when it was created and is now, things have changed, right? So, so yep. also trying to keep that as up to date as we can, right? So that is one. Mm -hmm. And then another one is CLI for M365. We just had a release. We're, we're um, evolving that as we speak. And we're working currently, like one of the areas is helping developers to manage M365 apps. And with that, I mean the Azure AD app reg that is a counterpart that kind of expresses your M365 application in the Microsoft Cloud. So yep. the, the place where you put your name, location, type of app, how does Mission, it authenticate, so, which yep. which APIs it access, and so forth, and so on. And currently there's this, this disconnected experience where, well, your app is in your code, but then there are parts to it that you manage elsewhere. And we mm -hmm. kind of want, want to bring that back to your code so that developers can stay in code for as long as they can. And we can try to bring them just the things that they need with as little extra noise as we need to really do, right? So we mm -hmm. try to do offer something for that in CLI from Microsoft 365. That's amazing. 
Um, especially the guideline idea, I just love it because um, I know that when we are actually developing something, especially in M365 platform, there'll be 100 different tabs you have to open, but then you yep. lose where the actual stuff was. So I guess if you've got something yeah. like a guideline that you can click and open all the links in one place, that's just brilliant. I guess we tried some of that kind of a thing at some point. Anyway, that's a separate discussion. Historical <laughs> Is there anything that we haven't tried that's over the years? Yes, it might be that it's it was too early on that thing. So that's true. But it's <laughs> <laughs> it's coming, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah. that's quite often actually. Is the challenge is not that what you do wouldn't be impactful. It's the timing, or when mm. it's the timing when you're rip, um, having an idea and sharing that to your manager, being the manager being welcoming on it, listening that idea and being basically oh. That's a great idea. It's just the mm. timing and and uh, when people are willing to listen quite often, unfortunately. It, so. It's coming on a Monday. Yes. <laughs> a Monday. Yes. A Monday. A Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Cute. Uh, on my side, just quickly recapping as well. So we're doing actually quite a lot of MVP summit planning already. So for MVPs, uh, there's a private, uh, nice. there's a week training uh, summit planning is ongoing. Then we're trying to figure out how can we do a better job on the Microsoft 365 platform community and uh, the being a bit more proactive on things, uh, which is good. So we're trying to now be proactive in, let's say, multiple weeks advance on the community calls and getting all of that queued up and all of that stuff, which, which is helping a lot. Last week, we had 600 live attendees on the community calls, mm -hmm. which is pretty mind-blowing. 600, wow. So, yeah. It's it's cool to see that reach and the, clearly the community calls are catching. Uh, so people are willing, kind of a. It, it's apparently easier when it's <laughs> it's it's <laughs> easier when it's consistent. So people know when the call is happening, uh, and then there's the recording rather than this one-off big bangs because um, it's it's not that you can always allocate that time for a one-off big bang. But having a consistent yeah. recurrent thing is something, well, it's happening every single Thursday or it's happening every single Tuesday. It's easy to drop in and see what's happening. So, yep. Cool. But a lot of, lot of planning on that side and, and making these things more visible uh, for the community as well and accessible. But anyway, I guess that's it for now. So thank you, Rabia, joining uh, again. Uh, we'll catch you again on the show within two years or so. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much for calling me back. I thought it was a one-off thing, but hey, thanks. <laughs> no, 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 it no, never no. is. <laughs> All right. Thanks. We absolutely want to want to always catch up on what's happening, and and you have a great, great, great uh, storyline as well. And so mm -hmm. it's it's just amazing to think about that you joined, getting an MVP and joined Microsoft during the pandemic time. So it's it's yeah. a bit different. So <laughs> thank you. But thank you, Rabia, for joining, and um, we'll jump to the weekly articles from this interview with Waldex. So cheers. Thank you, Rabia. Bye. Bye. Cool. Thank you, Waldek. Uh, <laughs> this is going so well, right? Thank you, Rabia. <laughs> you two look like uh, like thank the you, same Vesa. Place, you know, I confused. Thank people. you, Vesa. <laughs> yes. Let's. So oh. with that, we thank each other, which is good. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. up the article. <laughs> Yes, let's let's jump to the articles. Thank you, Rabia, for joining us on the discussion. Really cool to catch up, and 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 it's it is absolutely a pleasure to work with uh, you uh, on the on a weekly basis or so on the on the platform. So it's really cool to see all of the stuff what is coming out from the cloud advocates. Compliment for you as well, Waldek. So thank you, Esa. 
You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's actually jump on the articles of this week. Um, let me not stop recording. Let me actually <laughs> Don't, don't <One> stop. <laughs> Think. <Jeez>. Think. <laughs> Uh, okay, so first few Microsoft articles, and then we'll go to the community articles. So let me start with this one. So uh, most used SharePoint solutions from the store, December 2021. So we, we started this uh, monthly summary on listing top 10 uh, most used solutions from the SharePoint store, which actually includes nowadays also the Viva connection applications. So, um, and also this is the complex thing which we're working on internally, which is uh, if you build an SPFX or SharePoint framework solution, it, for teams, it's actually in the SharePoint store. So it's a bit confusing, um, but something which is getting worked on for sure. But this is a, a good blog post related on who are the top 10 providers right now from the store. A lot of our, our partners and, and system integrators, ISVs, are not using the store yet, and we're hoping that that will change in the future. But Ichigraph is by far uh, the most widely used uh, provider, and it is really, really, really cool solution for SharePoint. And for Microsoft Teams. So highly recommend on checking it out. And then there's multiple other solution providers here as well, which is really, really cool uh, capabilities. Now, the next article. Absolutely. So last, I believe, week, we had article from Brian from the Microsoft Graph CPX team about the ability to upload large files with the Microsoft Graph, right? And the interesting part there is the large file because file size exceeds the, the payload size that you could squeeze into a single request. So with that, there is a special way on Microsoft Graph that allows you to chunk the upload. And with the Microsoft Graph.net SDK, there's a new improved way to handle that. Sure, you could do all of that with the REST API from Graph, but it's just so much easier to use the SDK. And Brian shows us exactly the improvements and, and the let's say the easiest way to upload a large file with the Microsoft Graph. Yeah, yeah, really cool stuff and making it super, super easy to handle large files. And, and basically, I guess it's hundreds of megabytes of file. I, I don't know if we actually provide it. It's gonna be as it, big as yeah. you need to, right? I mean, you can yeah. have files in terms of gigabytes, right? Even yep. so. Yep. Makes perfect sense, which is awesome that we have a simple way of uploading those stuff. Now, yep. on the on the Microsoft 365 platform blog, we had an update related on new single sign-on uh, service for Office add-ins, which is rolling out in the Office uh, on the web. So if you're building Office add-ins, uh, there's a new way of uh, doing simplified single sign-on, uh, which requires a certain level of a changing and updates on your solution. So that blog post is all about calling out those needed changes and, and, and the steps and articles of making that happen on the syntax side, open syntax side. Exactly. Side. So again, we we have an enhancement around thinking content types across sites, right? So if you think about it, content types allow you to organize content and apply metadata to it. But then you also want to have, if you change the content type in single place, the same content type should look the same way across all sites. So there is, there is the ability to keep them in sync and then there is an approved API, again, on Microsoft Graph, which is the go-to API to communicate with anything on Microsoft 365. There is an improved API to handle changes across content type and across sites. Yeah, really, really cool. So add a copy of published content type from a content type hub to a target site or a list. So that's basically the, the main operation. And then if you additional operations, which are available as well, really, really cool stuff. 
Then on the Syntex side, uh, there was an update from Chris McNulty related on the Syntex licensing and a few other, uh, let's say, upcoming features. And, uh, and this, there's some adjustments on the Syntex licensing, making it easier for non-paid uh, license customers to start using Syntex features. And so we highly recommend on checking it out. Uh, Syntex is really the content management services of the advanced content management services of SharePoint. So, and, and there's a lot of, lot of investments on that side. Related on the syntax, we also had a, a high-level, let's say, reference article on the content assembly. Exactly. So as you work with syntax and content, your documents will go through cycle, right? And Chris, in his blog, explains process the different steps that are included and how you can think of them to be able to better explain it or even grasp it yourself. Really, really cool. So explaining the extraction and metadata and automation and all of that stuff, what the syntax is doing, really, really cool stuff. Then we had a uh, blog post from Adam Wojcik uh, from CLI for Microsoft 365 on your mobile. So actually kind of a cool setup. So if you're looking into doing automation directly from your mobile with uh, within your Microsoft 365 tenant using the CLI, you can easily do that. And he walks through the process of installing the needed uh, of, uh, tooling to the Android mobile and then starting using um, or automating your tenant. So actually pretty yeah, cool setup. That is pretty cool. Then we had another article from Adam talking about different tools in this example, PNP PowerShell or CLI from Microsoft 365, which are both command line tools to automate working with Microsoft 365 tenants, right? And he gives his opinion on whether you should use one or the other, how do they relate to each other and so forth and so on. So it's interesting article to get perspective on that from him, um, how he looked at these uh, tools. Yep, it's good to have opinions for sure. Um, and then there's a good level of a thought process related on uh, his recommendation as well. So we had a article from Jan Bucker related on Microsoft 365 self-service using Power Apps. And so this is a kind of a reference a solution which has been built to manage uh, uh, the Microsoft 365 setting kind of a self-service portal for the Microsoft 365 end users. So really cool setup uh, and relatively complex setup to, to uh, from a automation perspective, but makes it look easy um, as a UX in the Power App side of the house. Then we have article from Michael Roth about working with custom connectors in Power Platform, right? So the idea is that you're building either Power App or a Flow, and you want to connect to an API, and there is no connector for that API available to you. So you have basically two ways. You, you can either use the HTTP call and instrument everything in place with auth and whatnot, or you can build a connector and make it more reusable approach. So he discusses the two different options that you have and how they relate to each other, as well as showing step-by-step step how to go through building a connector for an API. Really, really, really cool blog post. And we need more and more of this kind of a getting started guidance anyway, because I think we're, it's, it's always, that's how we get new people to learning on how to get started on doing. Working yeah. with APIs on Power Platform for beginners, this is kind of a related or partner article or sibling article uh, for the previous one talks about uh, the calling the APIs and, and the get and post and put and batch and delete operation, HTTP and, and those options. So really cool stuff as well to explain the differences of those APIs. So really good job from Michael on that. Then we have another article from Leon Armstrong, um, and it's about the ability to access 
sites in SharePoint without the need to have to access the whole tenant, right? So in a past, if you if you think about it in, in a past, the way you would access SharePoint was you either had access to everything or nothing. Before that, even, even way earlier, we had the ability to grant access on a per site basis, but that has changed when we moved to Azure AD based access, because with that, there was only one scope or two, read all or full control, right? There was nothing in between. And now since recently, we have this new ability which allows you to grant access to apps for specific sites. So we're kind of back to this original control to be able to access a single site as opposed to every app has to have access to either everything or nothing at all. So this is really, really cool. And the, the big change here is really the fact that we used to have the scope, which is the, the sites that selected for Microsoft Craft, but we didn't have it for the CSM and REST APIs. Um, and that's now enabled since end of uh, November, and it's available uh, for SharePoint resource as well. So that's that's really the change. Yeah. Within recent, or that's the recent change. English is so hard. Yeah. I just. Uh, <laughs> Now, Varchman, Desponde from Valor Solutions, had a, a blog post related to working with apps with Microsoft Teams meeting. It's really fo uh, focused on the different uh, Teams meeting scenarios and what you can, what kind of implementations you can actually do there uh, during the meeting or pre-meeting or post-meeting and how to get started on those things as well. So really, really cool stuff uh, from Varchman. Then we had uh, from Xiao. Right, so he has a great article about showing like how can you build a to-do kind of experience, to-do being the to-do app on Microsoft, being building kind of similar experience on top of a SharePoint or a list, right? So to basically give the same kind of UX on top of a list that you could use to manage your, your, your tasks. Have a look on the article. There's a video as well on the article series. Uh, really, really cool, uh, cool stuff uh, for sure. So using, really going to the, the, the deep end of with the Microsoft the list formatting. So really cool stuff. Then we had an article from Marcus Miller related on configure Teams tab applications. So configuration options and uh, scopes and all of that stuff and how to get, how to get moving uh, on those. Um, so really cool uh, blog post from Marcus as well. He's He's been really, blogging a lot about Microsoft Teams uh, platform, which is great. And then article from you, Waldek. Yes, exactly, right? So when you build apps connected to Microsoft 365, there is this app, which is in, in your code, but then there's also the counterpart to it. You register your app with the Microsoft Cloud, and you do that by creating an Azure AD app reg. Right, and that is kind of a piece of info that you have with applications name, location, type, API, access, and whatnot. And these kind of tools are disconnected in a sense, right? Because you have, you have your own code, but the average lives in AAD. And with CLI for Microsoft 365, we want to kind of bridge the gap and allow you to stay in code for as long as you can. So we want to bring the ability to manage all aspects of this app, like permissions and properties and whatnot directly from the code where you can in your code editor open terminal and manage the app without having to leave the editor and switch a context. So okay. here in the article, I'm showing how that works step by step. And then I, I also share some ideas that we have for new commands that we plan to add over the coming days. Cool. Really, really cool stuff. And and 
making things easier is always good. So don't make things more complex, make it easier. Now, Peter Wenstrand had a blog post related on set the task priority in Microsoft Planner using Power Automate and a few of the options over there. And, and bit of a confusing API description as well, because there's a multiple API uh, options and, and uh, let's say not a super clear communication on what would you see, what, what is the priority value, what you should be adding. So really, really interesting blog post from him related on that. Then our good friend Paolo had a, had a YouTube video. Exactly. He is explaining how to manage share files via Microsoft Graph. Again, example, Microsoft Graph being the API to manage everything on Microsoft 365 and managing shared files is one of the options that are exposed to us through the Microsoft Graph, giving you a consistent approach to do basically as much as you can in your apps with the Microsoft 365. Cool. And then April had a video related on Power Apps collection basics. Uh, so basically walking through the different collection access, what is a collection, uh, why would you use a collection, and then how do you render and take those uh, in the rendering into account. And I think she's using the Wordle uh, scenario here because that looks like a yeah, Wordle, uh, which yeah. I already muted completely from my Twitter account because that <laughs> seems to be a bit too, <laughs> too much Wordle things in Twitter. So, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's a good scenario for showcasing uh, the learnings and, and how to implement uh, applications using the platform. Then we had a blog post from Joanna Klein from Recording 365, role touch points during information governance and records management implementation. So Joanna is, is really the on the specialist on the records management information governance and, and the let's say the business side of the this discussion. And this is a good blog post related on the the aspects and different roles and responsibilities uh, what different people might be having and how they overlap and who are the people who make different decisions in different uh, organizations it's it's an interesting challenge to find specific people making always responsible of certain areas so really really good stuff and some recommendations and tips in there and then we had the last article or video technically from Sarah? Yes, exactly. Where to share important corporate documents? I guess that is that is, that is the challenge that we all have. Like, like when you think about different scopes in which you can share, you can share with another person, you can share within your team, within your org, maybe with external folks. And what are the different things you have need you need to take into account when thinking about sharing lifecycle access, permission management, and whatnot? So I guess that there's more to it than just clicking share. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's where are you storing the file and how do you access that? Do you move it at some point where and all of that? So, it's it's an interesting. Um, there's no right or wrong as such, but there's multiple different options in all of these things for sure. Yeah. Good. Let's actually then close up for this week. So um, we already talked about what's happening uh, within this week, kind of the the key yes, points. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. I guess yes, we have. We have nothing so, else on left that to bottom. say. Then, <laughs> thank you, Rabia, one more time uh, joining us this time. Uh, we'll be back within the PMP week uh, in the podcast and in the vlog format within a week. Thanks, everybody. Please stay in touch. Use the hashtag PMP Weekly to tag your uh, stuff in Twitter so we can uh, cover them in the show. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.